So earlier this year, I read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Now, I personally love the psychological aspect of things. So why we do what we do is really intriguing to me. So James Clear, he talks about our bad habits, why we do those bad habits. And then he talks about building good habits by changing things that can seem small or atomic to us, but in the long run, has monumental impact. So I started rereading the book earlier this week, going over each chapter several times. Now, I'm not going to do that in the video. I'm not going to go into each chapter in minute detail, but I want to talk about a foundational concept that James Clear talks about that correlates to a previous video I made several weeks ago called Pretend to Be Him. So we all have bad habits that we want to get rid of, whether it's chewing on your toenails or eating fast food, smoking, watching copious amounts of Netflix, or addictions to drugs, alcohol, and pornography, we have something, or more than likely, multiple things that we want to stop doing. We also have good habits that we want to form. We could want to journal on a more daily basis, read the Word of God more consistently, start to eat right or work out. We have a good habit, or more than likely, multiple good habits that we want to form. James Clear says that when it comes to changing our habits, the biggest mistake that we make is we change the wrong thing. So there are three levels at which change can occur, habit change can occur. The first level is outcome-based. So this is where most of our goals are. We want to you know, lose weight, we want to make more money, we want to publish a book. The second level of change is changing our process. This is where most of our habits are built. So that could take form of doing a new routine in the gym, or decluttering your desk for a better workflow. The third level of change is changing your identity. This is where your beliefs, your worldview, your self-image, and your judgments and assumptions about other people are. So outcomes is what you get. The process is what you do, and identity is what you believe. Many people assess and change their habits based on the outcome that they want to achieve. In my earlier 20s, I really wanted to gain weight. I wanted to put on more muscle and see a higher number on my weighing scale. So I knew that in order to do that, I had to work out. I had to lift heavier weights and I had to eat a higher caloric diet. Now, the alternative to an outcome-based habit change is an identity-based habit change where we focus on who we want to become. In the past few years, my mentality toward weightlifting and diet has changed because I've changed my mentality into focusing on becoming a more healthier person. The habits are essentially the same. I still have to work out and eat right, but I'm not really fixated now on a number on the scale. I am more focused on the long term, becoming a more healthier person and adopting a more healthier lifestyle. James Clear gives this example in his book and he says, imagine that you are offering a cigarette to two different people. The first person says, no, I'm trying to quit. The second person says, no, I'm not a smoker. So you offered the cigarette to both people, but the difference was the first person still believes that they are a smoker who is trying to quit. They are trying to change their behavior, but not really changing who they believe themselves to be. The second person doesn't identify with being a smoker. Smoking was who they used to be. It was a part of who they were, but it's not a part of who they are now. In pharmacy school, we learned about something called feedback loops. So in your body, your blood pressure, your thyroid function, your homeostasis, and other bodily functions are regulated by feedback loops. So feedback loop is essentially a loop where the output becomes the input in order to keep that loop going. So the correlation between identity and habit is like a feedback loop. So let me draw this out for you. We have identity 
and we have habits. All right, so here's our feedback loop. I haven't drawn it out fully, but we have identity and we have habits. So behind every habit, there is an identity. And if the habit is not congruent with the identity, it's not going to last. So in order for the habit to stick, it has to be a part of your identity. In order, you know, it's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. It's another thing to say, I am the type of person who is this. So if our habits have to be congruent with the identity, then it only makes sense that true habit change happens when there is an identity change. You know, I try to take on the habits of working out and eating right, but it wasn't until I took on the identity of a healthy person that I was able to actually stick to those habits. So when the habits and identity change become one, when they are congruent, you're no longer seeking behavior change. You are simply acting like the person you believe yourself to be. James Clear says that what you do is a direct indication of who you believe yourself to be, whether consciously or non-consciously. But here's the problem. In the same way that identity change is needed to make good habits, your identity can also prevent you from making good habits. So we've all heard people say this, and I myself am guilty of things like, I'm not a morning person, or I'm not good at math, or I just suck at computers, or I'm just bad at remembering names. Once you've you know, had this identity about yourself and you've believed it over the years, you start to accept it as a fact. So you resist certain actions that are not congruent with your identity because that's not who I am. And there's a pressure to maintain a certain behavior that is more consistent with who you believe yourself to be. So when our habits are, you know, fully congruent with our identity, it's hard to break those habits. So sometimes the biggest problem that we have is our own self-image. Constantly, you know, becoming the better version of yourself requires you to constantly edit your beliefs and expand your identity. So your habits are how you embody your identity. The more you repeat a habit, the more you repeat an action, the more evidence you give toward that identity. So after a while, we can start to believe in this identity because we now have the evidence and proof for that identity. Your actions are similar to like a vote that you cast for the type of person that you want to become. Now, we're not perfect, so there are days where we're going to cast the wrong vote. For me personally, I don't always work out and eat right, but you know, we're not trying to win a unanimous decision. We're just trying to win the majority of the votes. So as we repeat our actions, as we repeat these habits, we accumulate evidence for this identity. Now, in the same way that we need identity and habits to work together to build good habits, this can also work for bad habits as well. The more we repeat a bad behavior or a bad action, the more we're going to reinforce the bad identity associated with it. So it's important to remember that in this feedback loop, our identity should be the thing that's driving this feedback loop. Our principles and values should be driving the loop rather than the results that we want to achieve because as we know, it's not really about what you do or how you do it, but rather the person that you are becoming in that process. James Clear calls identity the north star of habit change, the directional focus. He also compares it to like a rudder on a ship. The reason why habits are so important is because yes, it'll give you the results that you want, but it'll also help you become the person that you're trying to be. So. The question is, where does identity come from? We have to really, you know, step one, we have to think, what identity do we want to have? What principles and values do you want to embody? Now, you might not know that right off the top of your head, but 
You might know the results that you're trying to get. So let's work backwards. Keeping in mind the results that you want, think to yourself, what kind of person is able to achieve those results? And then the second step would be to prove to ourselves with small wins that identity. So we essentially, with our habits, with our small daily actions, we reinforce that identity that we have now, you know, that we have now identified with. So I was thinking about my identity the other day, and I identify as many things. I am a straight, male, Christian, Indian, volleyball player, son, brother, best friend, pharmacist, musician, whatever. There's like so many, there's different things that I identify with. And for you as well, there are many things that are trying to steal your identity, and usually many things at once. We can find our identity in our jobs. Some of us, like me, have spent the majority of our teenage years and our early 20s trying to get a degree and get a career. And then once we get that career, we spend the majority of the rest of our lives working in that career. We can find our identity in the money that we make, acquiring more houses, more cars, more boats, more properties, and more drip, and just acquiring more stuff. We can find our identity in our looks, in our six-pack abs, or our big booties. We can find our identity in another guy or a girl and the relationship that we have with them. We can see our identity through how somebody else sees us. We can find our identity in our race, in our family, in our hobbies, in our talents, in our social media following, in our financial status. We can even find our identity in our past toxic relationships, our past addictions, our current addictions, our family history, our problems and our illnesses. There are so many things that are fighting for my time and for my identity. And the things that I listed above, they're not necessarily bad things, but I can assure you that every single one of them, and I mean every single one of them, will not last. Careers change. People change. Families change. Your weight will change. Your looks will change. Your financial status will change. None of these things will last. None of these, these things will change while you're here on the earth and none of them will be going with you after you die. But there is one thing that doesn't change. There is a person that doesn't change. So you could probably guess where I'm going with this. And it, it's so easy for me to say, yeah, find your identity in God, find your identity in Jesus, blah, blah, blah. It's so easy for me to say, but it's so hard to do. And here's why. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And this is hard for us humans to do because we want to maintain control. And by finding our identity in the created things rather than the creator of all things, we can still maintain control of our lives. But that control that you feel is just an illusion because like I mentioned earlier, anything and everything that you put your identity in outside of God will sooner or later fail you. 100% guarantee you those things will fail you. But putting your identity in God requires you to give up your identity in everything else. And this is not just a one and done process. This is a daily process where you have to continually give up your desires for the better will of God for your life. Now, I've sat there and I've thought about this and I was thinking, you know, this really sucks because I used to see what I wanted for my life as the pinnacle of happiness for my life. And when I compared it to the will of God for my life, I used to think, yeah, that sounds really boring. That sounds even contradictory to what I want for my own life. 
So if you've checked out my other YouTube channel, you'll know that I'm a musician with my church here in San Antonio and with other churches around town. And music is something that's always just made sense to me. It's like a native language that I was just able to understand even at a very young age. Drums was something that I picked up at the age of seven and nobody really taught me how to play the drums. It was just something that I naturally gravitated towards, something that I naturally felt confident in, even at a young age. So. Throughout middle school and high school, my friends would ask me, hey, let's make a band or come play with us this weekend at this venue. And I always said no. I always just stuck to playing drums and music at church. Now, because of it, I've been able to play at some, you know, some great different stages, some big stages and with some great leaders. And it's been a great experience so far. But that all kind of changed or my perspective of that changed a year ago when I went to my first Cirque du Soleil show. So I was sitting there at the show and I was watching the performers and I was thinking, you know, I'm a musician, so I'm, I'm analyzing the music. And I was thinking, this doesn't sound like a track. Like it doesn't sound like a CD that the performers are just performing to. It sounds pretty live, but I couldn't see any musicians or anything. I was just watching the acrobats and I was like, forget the acrobats. Like if I, I look closely and there he was. There the musicians were. There he was, Mr. Ben Todd, the drummer of Cirque du Soleil show Volta. And I was obsessed, not with Ben Todd, but about becoming a drummer for the circus. And from that day on, you could not get me to shut up about Cirque du Soleil. I researched everything about becoming a performer for the circus. I researched everything about the audition process. I watched every day in the life video of a performer. I watched every video on YouTube. I made an audition tape to send to Cirque. I, I started planning my life after graduation to give up my career and pursue being in the circus full time. I, I was ready to give up, you know, my pharmacy career and go into a music degree, a music career, pursuing becoming a drummer for the circus. But deep down inside of me, there was a feeling, even, even through all this planning, I had this feeling of, eh, this is not what you are called to. This is not what your purpose is. And I remember having the conversation with God. I remember telling him, God, you know, according to the day in the life of, <laughs> I can have plenty of time during the day to do ministry. And then in the evening, I can just do my shows as I travel to different countries. And, you know, I was still, I was going back and forth about this with God. And, and I still had that feeling, eh, this is not where, you know, I've called you to be. My brother came to visit me in Chicago uh, last summer, you know, when Cirque du Soleil was still in the city of Chicago. And, you know, I was like, uh, bro, we're going to the big top. The big top is the tent under which the circus all happens. And just that whole thing is, is another story. Don't get me started about the big top. But I, throughout the whole show, I felt like I was the friend who's already seen the movie and they're just watching you for your reaction whenever there's a good part. So the whole time I was like geeking out, like watching the show and looking at my brother and watching the show and like looking to see his reactions. Like, eh, pretty cool, huh? So during halftime, I asked him, you know, what do you think? What do you think about the show? And he was like, eh. I was like, what do you mean, eh? He was like, you know, he's a musician as well. And we lead worship together several times during the week at our church. And he said, being a drummer on this setting, this stage is pretty cool. Like, you know, this is a very unique experience, but it's nothing like playing drums at church. It's nothing like worshiping God because playing drums on for God far supersedes this kind of earthly physical stage that you would have. And that always stuck with me, even till the day that I decided to give up my dream of being a circus drummer. Now, realistically speaking, I probably would have never made it because the skill level at which you have to be to be a performer for the circus was far above where I was at the moment. But 
I knew that I could do it. I knew that I was confident in my drumming ability, that I could grow and that I could learn and that if I really put my time and effort into it, I could do it. I had no doubts about it. I was ready to give up everything and you know a normal life and pursue a musical degree, pursue a musical career. But I remember you know the few it kind of was a process of me just giving it up, saying, okay, this is not where God wants me to go. This is not where you know God has called me to be. And I remember having to give up that desire in exchange for God telling me, look, this is great. The life you'll have as a you know a circus performer will be great. It's very unique, but it's nothing compared to the identity and the life that I can give you. It's going to be a life that far outweighs being a drummer for the circus. My example might seem like a small one to you, something insignificant, but to me, it is one example of many things that I've had to give up in my walk with God. And I have known many Christians who, along their walk with God, had to give up the things that they wanted, the jobs that they thought they really wanted, the direction in life that they really wanted to go, that boyfriend and girlfriend that they really wanted to have a relationship with. They've had to let it go for the will of God for their life. Now, here's the best part. I was listening to a sermon the other day by Tony Evans, and he was saying that once you have made God your source, you are now tapped into the source. You're tapped into the one source that can give you every resource. I'm sure you've seen this picture where Jesus Christ is talking to this child, and he's asking this child to give up the bear that he has. And he's asking this child to give it up. And the child is so reluctant to let go of the thing that he loves so much. But little does he know, that God is holding a much bigger bear behind him, a much bigger blessing. And God needs him to let go of his tiny bear so he can give him this bigger bear. Now, we have to be careful not to put the blessing over the one who blesses, over God. But I can guarantee you that when you find your identity in God, God doesn't just ask you to give up something with nothing in return. He asks you to let go of what you want so he can give you something much greater. That identity in Christ begins to shape your everyday life, your everyday actions, your intentions, your motives, and your habits. As I've drawn closer to God, it's not just my relationship with him that's grown. I wrote down a list of several things that have improved, actions and habits that have become better as a result of finding my identity in Christ. My financial habits have changed as I've realized that I am now a steward of what God has given me. I don't have what I have just because I worked for it. I have what I have because God blessed me with it. I used to react really uh, really quickly in anger whenever I was pissed off. Uh, my younger brothers, sometimes they still flinch whenever they mess with me. Not, not because I go at them, but because they're just so used to me doing that in the past. But nowadays, it takes a lot to make me angry. I've learned a lot of patience with my, with my parents and with my brothers. Early on, I wasn't really thrilled about going to work, and even sometimes now, I'm not really thrilled about it. But and there are several times where I just want to cuss a customer out. But there have been multiple times on the job where I just sit there and tell myself, do as if unto the Lord, do as if unto the Lord, pretend like Jesus is your boss. And it's made me a better employee, somebody who works hard even when, you know, even when I don't have to be clocked in. I go in a little early and I stay a little later because that's, you know, I pretend as if I'm working and I am working for Jesus Christ. I have overcome and continuously overcome the habits of pornography and masturbation as I have learned self-control through my identity in Christ. My identity in Christ has improved the way that I treat myself and the way that I treat women in a way that honors God. 
I, a few years ago, God started convicting me about picking up trash in the hallways that I walk or randomly on the, you know, on the ground, wherever I walk by, pick up the trash and throw it away. And he was teaching me to be a better steward of my surroundings, teaching me to have a cleaner desk, a cleaner room, keeping a cleaner house and a cleaner car. So, you know, you know, I've seen this happen in my life and I can guarantee you that the habits that you want to improve on will be addressed as you seek to find your identity in Christ. Now, I am nowhere near perfect, but I am willing to be perfected on the daily. The process of changing our identity just doesn't happen over time. I mean, it doesn't happen, you know, right away. It happens over time. As long as I keep casting the right vote and as long as the majority of that takes over the off, you know, bad votes that I cast, I am going in the right direction. Even to this day, whenever I put on the Cirque du Soleil Volta soundtrack, I go back into that blissful state of dreaming about being a drummer for the circus again, and I really have to catch myself. And just like that, every day there are different identities from different sources that are constantly going to be pulling for our attention to take them on. But it's a daily process where we have to give up our identity, the thing that we want to do, the people that we want to hold on to, the, the direction of life that we want to go, we have to give it up on a daily basis in order to take on the true identity that only Christ can give us. And let me tell you, from personal experience, finding your identity in Christ affects every single aspect of your life, every single facet of your life, even the things that you didn't think were important, even the things that you didn't think God cared about will be affected from your finances, to the way you interact with your employees, your boss, from, to your sexuality, to your work ethic. Everything is impacted by finding your identity in Christ. Pastor Kent Muncy from City Church Chicago, he would always say, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? Guys, I can tell you with absolute certainty that no one who has found their identity in Christ has ever regretted losing themselves, ever. That's all I have to say for this video, so I'm out.